Well, so this morning, we're talking about faith in real life, and that's what we've been talking about this summer as we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, you know, there's a lot of places where we need to understand how our faith really impacts our real life, and no other place could that be more pertinent than what our subject is this morning, which is dealing with differences. How do I deal with differences between people, between what happens? And this happens on a regular basis. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in life, you have to deal with differences. For example, right? Like, like I like to, I like when I ride in my vehicles, right? Like in my Jeep, right? When we, people get in my Jeep and get out of my Jeep, my family gets in and out of my Jeep. I, I'm kind of a big proponent of take your trash with you, right? I don't want any of your junk left in my vehicle when you get out. I like getting in my Jeep, and it is clean. Now, I mean, now I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. Like, if there's stones, you know, there's stuff on the floor that, like, from your feet, okay, you don't have to like get a brush and sweep it up. But I don't want any of your trash in my car, right? Now, my my wife, she loves those little cubby holes in the door. You know what I'm talking? I don't know why they're there, but she's convinced they're there for gum wrappers and any other kind of trash that you happen to have, and you you know you just put them down in there, right? Makes me crazy. Right? And so this, this is a continual source of tension in our marriage. Well, actually, it's just a tension with me. She doesn't care at all. She thinks I'm a little crazy. But for me, it's a source of tension. Now, that's, that's a small difference, right, that you have to deal with. But there are big differences in your life that you have to deal with as well. There are things every day for every single one of us. And in my opinion, our culture deals with differences all the time. We live in a culture that is very, that's, that just has a lot of different people from different backgrounds. And in my opinion, our culture doesn't handle differences very well. They don't move into that very well. Now it has different names, right? Like there's socioeconomic differences, class wars, there's prejudice, there's generation gap, right? How we talk about different people in different generations, their political parties, right? People's allegiance to their political party and their differences and how they handle it. And let's not forget parenting, right? Like all in the midst of that too. Right? It's all dealing with differences in your every single day life. And there's one thing that human nature has proven. I believe if you look at history and you look at human nature, it's proven that human nature doesn't do differences very well, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what part of history you look at, when you begin to point to different places, you're just like, wow, that wasn't a good season. That wasn't a good display of humanity. Our own nation has a terrible history of this, and it's not alone. We're not, at, least, at least we have movement in our history, but we've got a terrible history of it. People who were oppressed, people who could not stand up for themselves, and nobody else was standing up for them either. That's all part of our history, but it's not just America's problem, right? It has been around for a long, long time. And in the first century, it was a problem as well. And the church, we'd like to think the church is just immune to that. You know, as followers of Jesus, like, the church is just immune to all of this. But the truth is, if we don't pay attention to our human nature, if we don't understand the theology of it, if we don't understand how God impacts us, how faith impacts our real-life living, we won't be immune to it at all. We'll just fall right back into the same ruts that humanity runs in. And so 
I'm excited about this conversation we're going to have today because this conversation is about transformation of us in a deep, formative way. It's about meeting Jesus. And you, you already know this, right? Like, nothing happens automatically in your spiritual life. Like, you don't just like, oh, I, just, I can just cruise along and not pay attention. And nothing in your life happens that way. Like, it takes intentionality. But deep transformation comes from you dealing with that, from you, like, pumping the brakes in your life, you know what I mean? And saying, I'm going to pause for a second and relook at where am I at in this? What's God want to speak to me about this? I'm excited about this conversation because I think it could really help us and propel us a little bit closer to what God wants for us, what God could see in us, in each of you, and how to live your life and how to deal with differences. So, so today, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. Um, but I want to give you a little context to the conversation today because uh, if you were to read all of chapter 8, you would be like, what is going on here? So let's just set some context. First of all, Corinthians, again, it was written by a guy named Paul. Apostle Paul, he was a Jew. Okay, He grew up as a Jew, he was trained as a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. So that meant there was some Greek in his family as well. That's, that's how he probably became a citizen, probably paid for it. There's probably some affluence there. But he was a Jew, and he, he, as he after he came to Christ, he realized, and he was like, very Jewish before he came to Christ. When he came to Christ, he realized that God had put a calling on his heart to reach across racial and religious and ethnic, ethnic boundaries and say, I, I, I have a calling to bring Christ to the whole world, to every person, to every person to be united with Christ. So he had to deal with all these religious differences and cultural differences, and that was Corinth. I mean, the, place, the reason that he ends up in Corinth is because it's one of those places where there's all of this melting pot of all these people from different places that he has to deal with. And if we were to unpack chapter 8, we're going to spend time in the first three verses because the issue that Paul deals with in chapter 8 is all about some people who were going to like the, the market, they were going to the discount place. How many of you ever shop at discount grocery places? Anybody else in here? Right on. That's... That's where every week, I, mean, I got to feed two hungry 20-year-olds. We eat 5,000 calories a day, and uh, so the grocery outlets are our friends. How many of you have ever walked through the grocery store? And my, wife, my wife is like eagle-eyed for this. She walks through Giant and the, past the meat things, and they have the little yellow tags on there, right? Yeah, and you're like, oh, I'll take that, right? Like, that's the, you got to sell that today and eat it because it's going to be green tomorrow, right? And you're like, no, I'll take that, right? Like, so like, we do that all the time, right? But, so, so this is what was happening in Corinth, right? There was this big argument because there was a whole bunch of yellow tags on meat, but the meat had been sacrificed to idols. And so there was a big argument across all these different cultural lines and religious backgrounds about whether it was okay to meet that, eat that meat as a follower of Jesus or not, and I don't think you should do that, you don't understand, you don't understand what it means to be in grace, because I'm now free, and that doesn't really mean anything, and they are having contention, and they cannot make up their mind of this, and they're fighting over it, right? Let's burn people with the stake for this, like this, this is, see what I did there? Yeah, anyway, all right, some of you caught on to that. So, yeah, let, anyway, so, I just fell right into that one. It was fantastic. So anyway, so this is what they're fighting over. They're fighting over all of this. And, and I mean, none of us, none of you are probably struggling with, should I buy the discount meat or not? Like, that's not an issue that you're going to fight over. We, none of you are like, how many of you go to the market and there's the shelf with all the sacrifice to idol meat, right? Like, it's just, 
That's not a cultural problem for you, but there is a problem that Paul chapter 8 addresses, and that is dealing with differences when those differences seem to matter to you. When you believe that they are important to you and you're willing to fight over them, how do you deal with that? Paul says, listen, there is a picture of this. This is what we need to talk about, and this is why I'm excited about it, because the picture that this Jewish man had of Christ's family helps us change our approach to how we deal with this overall and particularly how we deal with this as a family of Christ. And the picture that he has is a picture that a lot of us probably, we don't think about it this way, but this is the picture. And, and the best picture I can explain, and I think Paul had in his heart and his mind as he writes this, as he deals with differences all the time, racial differences, religious differences, cultural value differences, like all over the place. This is Paul's whole ministry, and he has to deal with it all the time. And as he writes this, I think he had a picture in his head, and I thought, what is that picture? And then I remembered this passage that another apostle wrote. His name was John. He got a vision of a worship moment in heaven. And he wrote this short piece of that picture. I want to read it to you right now, and I want you to get a picture. I just want you to, as I'm reading it, I just want you to really Picture yourself in this scene in heaven. This is like a future prophetic vision. Revelations 7. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and every tribe and every people group and every language. And they were standing in front of the throne before the Lamb, before Jesus. There's this people group. Let's picture this. There's this people group. You can't even count these people. Every color and every nation. They speak every language on the planet. They are from every place that unimaginable. They are standing next to each other. And they are clothed in white robes. It's a scriptural sign of being purified. In other words, they had given their lives to Christ and Christ had purified them. They're in white robes. They're all, they're all together on this. And they're waving palm branches. Does this remind you of a day when people wove palm branches trying to declare Christ king and then turned on him later? This is this moment where like, no, this is, Christ, you are king. This moment of worship. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You got a picture of that? What that's going to be like when you're in that crowd with that white robe on and next to you there are people from all over the world, every planet, every Station, every people group, every tribe, every political party, every everything, they're all there. They're next to you, and they're all unified because there is Christ, the Lamb, who saved them. And in that moment, they realize all of what that means and what has meant to them. It's the presence of God. See, this isn't just a what you could read that and say, oh, that's what's going to happen in heaven, but I think you'd fall short of what that really means. The theological implication of this is not just about what we will do in heaven. It's about who we are 
who we are as the family of God. We are not a people group of, a homogeneous people group of all sameness. We are this diverse group from all over the world that God created and brought together as his family. That's who we are. In this group of people, right, there's not one, one group of religious heritage. There's people who, who, in this group who didn't grow up in church. There's people in this group from different faiths that came together under the banner of Christ. There's people in this group of different ethnic heritage. There's people in this group who, flew, who fleed and they were called immigrants. There's people in this group who came to America. There's people in this group who, but this group isn't Americans. Like, I hope that's not the picture you have. This is not the picture that John's painting. He's not painting a picture. He's Jewish. He doesn't paint a picture of Israel. There's not, there's not, um, this is not an American group. This is not any king group. This is everybody from every nation. This is a new kingdom, right? Like a new family, all united together. They don't, they don't speak English. They speak every language. Every single language. I don't know if in that moment, in that moment of worship, we'll actually understand every language. But I know that every language is being sung. They're there. I don't know if we'll speak some kind of heavenly language. But if we speak regular language, I got news for you. Based on the numbers of the church and the Christians, you're going you're gonna to probably be drowned out by, in Mandarin by all the Chinese Christians that have come to Christ. And they're pretty serious about their faith. Because i got to risk a lot. To worship God. So that, like, this is the picture. And you know what Jesus prayed, right? And, and when he teaches us to pray, what does he say? On earth as it is in heaven. He, he knew this. This is where we ought to move to. This is, this is what we ought to be. This is who we are. God created people. He didn't create nations. He created people from all nations in great diversity different people. And the church, a church is this family of diverse and different people, and they're united because they are under the banner of Christ. This is what we have in common. We've, we've fallen in love with Christ, and we worship him together. Church is this great big family, and this is the picture of Revelation. And, and the exciting part of what Paul's about to share in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians. The, the gold in the first three verses is that he says, listen, this is how you do that. This is how you become that people united under Christ. All different. This is how you do that. Differences and all. So let's unpack a little bit of that this morning and jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and talk about what is Paul unpacking here in terms of how do I do this? How do I live in this? So, verse 1, he says, now, regarding your question about food, remember this is the debate about the food that was offered to idols. He says, yes, we know that we all have knowledge. So in other words, they had written to him and said, listen, they don't understand, right? Like everybody's writing Paul, you know, may, you know when, like when your kids come to you and the, the guy who, they, they both try to get to the parent first, right, to state their case because whoever gets there first, they, they know that the parent's going to believe them if you get there first. Right? You know that that's the way it works. Like, you tell your story first, you're the one who's believable. So, so this is what they did. They, everybody's writing to them, and they're, they're, they're going on their opinions. They're lobbying for Paul's support. Paul says, I know that we all have knowledge about this issue. 
And he says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, you hear what he says there. Like, this is just so true. Like, doesn't knowledge, like, when you're right, doesn't it make you feel good? Doesn't it feel good when you're, you're like, I told you so? Right? Have you ever done that to someone? You're like, all right, we'll do it your way. And then later you're like, I told you so. I knew I was right. Like, it feels important. Right? Like, don't you ever get in a debate and you want to be right? Like, this is, like, in my family of origin, right, the, the person who was loudest was right. And so there, when arguments happen, right, it didn't matter what the facts were. It just mattered who could yell the loudest. And so, but, but they, there was a lot of debate because people wanted to be right. It was so important to be right because it makes you feel important, right? Like your worth. If you're, if you're wrong, uh, you're less worthy. If you're wrong, you don't have as much value. If you're wrong and your preferences aren't right, well, then who are you? Right? This is what Paul's saying. This is the implication of the statement that he makes. That knowledge makes us feel important. Then he goes on and he says, but it is love that strengthens the church. It is love that is the foundation of the gospel. Now, this tension between knowledge and love, like you, you've all lived this out. I mean, how many of you, if you're married today, right, or you, you've ever had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, how many of you know that you, there are times, right, where you think you're right, and it costs you dearly to tell the other person that you're right, and you, the way you told them, and you stuck your feet in the ground, you dug your heels in, and at the end of the thing, it didn't strengthen anything. It weakened it, didn't it? And you know probably the opposite side of that, too, when you chose love. And you were like, I think I'm right. I think my preference is better. I'm just going to choose to love you instead. I would rather be in relationship with you. I'd rather strengthen our bond. Right? We can talk. We can work this out. But I'm going to prioritize, right? It doesn't mean that you let go of your knowledge. It doesn't matter. You let go of your preference totally, right? But, like, I'm not going to fight over the trash in the Jeep. I'm just going to clean it out because that's my preference. That's what I think is the right thing to do. you got those things in your life, too, and some of them are pretty important. Like, this is, you know, how many of you have ever been in a situation where someone made you feel dumb? If you said something and they're like, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe, like, this is the story of my life, right? Like, things come out of my mouth all the time that people are like, wait, what did you just say? I'm like, wait, is that not right? Like, you know, I, like, have you ever felt that way? Maybe you've been the person, too, who have done that to somebody else, like, right? Like, knowledge felt, I feel important because I know this. Let me correct you. And then afterwards, you were like, oh, man, I dug in a little too hard on that person. Corrected them a little too that felt a little too good. There's something wrong in that. Like, you've ever felt that? Like, you know this tension that knowledge makes us feel important, makes us feel secure. But this is what, what Paul is really saying here is this. Underneath this is a theology of, say, Paul saying, listen, your worth doesn't come from what you know. You're not more valuable because you are right. You're more valuable because you are loved by God. Love is the foundation of the gospel. The gospel is not founded on you know a lot of stuff. The gospel is founded on I, I know that I am loved by God and that he sacrificed his life for me. 
Like that's the foundation of the gospel, that, he might, that you might become children of God by putting your faith, your trust, right? Trust is a relational issue. And that's not that knowledge isn't important. It's not that theology isn't important. It's just the foundation of the gospel is based on love. It's on the theology of love. It's on the knowing of God and being known by him. It's our identity is found in that. See, this is what I love about my experience in our church family. That I, I do believe that we have the capacity to love people who are different than us. The reason I know this is because you, you don't require me to be like you, right? Like, like you put up with, I wear a Steelers Hawaiian ugly shirt in the middle of summer, right? I got here this morning, people were like, well, that's random, right? I mean, my own wife was like, that's what you're wearing today? I'm like, yeah. Kind of fits with the message today, right? Like, some of you are like, I hate the Steelers, right? But you still love me, right? You're still okay with that. Like, I, we have the capacity to love, and I'm, I am glad. No, I'm serious now. I'm not, I am glad that I don't have to be like you to be part of us. And that you don't have to be like me to be part of us. God, I don't want to be a part of a family where I have to be just like everybody else to be accepted, because the proof of the gospel of love and that it is at work in our midst is the fact that we are very different and have different opinions and can still love each other, right? That's when you know your love, when someone says, you don't have to change to be like me for me to love you. You can be uniquely you with all the stuff that's you. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't move towards Jesus, but there's a whole bunch of parts even moving towards Jesus. It's always going to be very unique and different. I mean, no matter how transformed I get to be with Jesus, I'm still going to be a Steelers fan. I'm sorry. It's just going to, you know, I'm going to try to convert some of you folks too sometimes. But, and you're going to love me anyway, right? You're going to love me anyway. But that's, that's all part of this. And this is very real for the people in Corinth. And it is very real for every one of us because let's face it, we live in a country who divides and villainizes and calls names over people that we differ opinions with. We act like the foundation of unity is built on you agreeing with me, you being the same as me, you not ever costing me anything and don't invade the comfort of my lifestyle. But what knowledge and preferences and being right will never do is build relationship. We'll never bring you together in love. And this is what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, he says this. Anyone who claims to know the answers, all the answers, really doesn't know much. What's that, right? How about Paul, right? Like, hey, by the way, if you claim that you know all the answers, and you have all the answers, and you are so superior, you don't really understand anything about faith. You don't really grasp the gospel. Because the person who really grasps the gospel, the person who really understands what Christ wanted, that, that's the person who loves God and is the one whom God recognizes. Now, this word recognizes, like what it means is to be known. It's the person that God says, I know you. I know you. You know what I mean? Like, you know how you're like, you're like, you, you know of somebody, like you all know of celebrities, but you don't go around saying, I know them, 
right? You saw an interview with them, you got information about them, but you don't say, I know them. You know somebody when you have relationship. And that's built by love, right? Not just by knowledge. Knowledge is a part of it. Like, you don't date someone and marry them and not have any information about them. But it all has to be in the context of trust and love and relationship. This is what Paul is saying. Now, Einstein is just kind of, Einstein kind of requotes this when he says, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Right? This, this idea of like, there's something really valuable about basing this on love because even your knowledge is pretty self-contained if we're not willing to spread it out and understand other people and where they came from. Because where you grew up shaped you and where they grew up shaped them. And together there's a lot to be learned from each other. And what's super unhelpful, and this is, I think, Paul's point, what's super unhelpful is when we distance ourselves from people who are different than us, people that we don't understand. We don't share their preferences, so we distance ourselves. And what Paul's saying is like, no, you've got to move closer to them. You've got to follow God's example, right? Like God left heaven as Christ and moved in proximity closer to us to understand us. But this is the problem for all of us. I think this is a very real problem, and I bet it's true in your life too. The natural inclination of your human nature, apart from Christ, the natural inclination is to move towards sameness, isn't it? It's comfortable. It's safe to be around people who agree with you, who have the same, share the same political views as you, who share the same growing up as you who share the same background as you. So you just keep moving towards them because that's what's comfortable. It feels safe, doesn't it? It feels good to be around people who agree with you because knowledge makes us feel important. And look, they agree with me too, so we must, we must know what we're doing. And here's essentially, I think, what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, this is what the gospel requires. It requires us to move towards others in love when they are different than us, and that's going to take humility. I think that's what he's saying. He says, listen, that God created people all different than you. He's basically saying to the Corinthians, you guys are all different. You all have these different backgrounds. You share very different opinions on this, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a step towards each other in love with humility. Instead of saying, I have to be right, all my opinions are right, and if you read the rest of chapter 8, he outlines what that might look like for them, to just say, well, you just humbly say, Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I don't have, I didn't grow up like you, and maybe I don't really understand what that was like. Maybe I'm just going to move towards you in love, and I'm going to be humble about maybe I'm not as smart as I think it is. Maybe knowledge doesn't make me important. Maybe God's already established that by saying, I want you to be my son or daughter. You're already important. So it's okay. If someone disagrees with you, it doesn't make you unimportant. So let me tell you about an experience for me that this was really helpful to me. I think I've shared this a little bit in the past, but so I grew up in Perry County. And um, in my growing up in Perry County, since I was moved in when I was just like one years old, um, I, I experienced differences because I didn't, wasn't born in Perry County, right? I didn't, I wasn't related to anybody else. Like, so it felt a bit like I had bit of the outsider thing going on, but here's also what I experienced, right? We had one minority in our entire school, 
everybody else the same. Just one. Uh, he was adopted. That's how he got to be a part of our school. And that's a very different experience. And then I went to Penn State. And all of a sudden, I was immersed in this very diverse culture. I had to find my way in that. And then I went on a missions trip. And I learned a lot from some people that were very different from me. I went, I don't, I don't know a lot. And I thought I knew a lot. I had all these opinions. I don't know a lot. Then I made a friend. His name was Greg. He was a black man, and man, he was such a good friend. And, and at one point, he looked at me and he said, we, we were talking about this, and I was, I was he grew up in, in Philadelphia in the city, and, and, and he would try to help me understand what it was like for him to grow up that way. But at one point, I was like, he was like, I don't think you can get this. I don't, I don't think you're really understanding like, what it feels like to be the minority. So he took me someplace that I was, the only white man. And he, I mean, he just kind of like shoved me in there, right in the midst of it, and then he debriefed with me on the way home. He's like, what was that like? I was so grateful for that. Man, it just opened my eyes. It was like, I didn't think, I was like, oh yeah, I don't see why people have to do, I don't see why they're making a big deal of this or a big deal of that, until I experienced it. I went, well, that's what that feels like. That's what it feels like when you're the only person. You have to move towards everybody else, but no one's moving towards you. That's what it feels like to be the outsider. That's what it, and I was like, oh. So here's what I did. I sat down um, with Jose Garcia, who's part of our campus family, and I said, Jose, can I ask you some questions? What's this feel like? So would you be willing to just tell a little bit of your story about what that feels like so that we can all get a little better grasp of it? And he was willing to do that. So we're just going to watch just a short clip of some questions that I had asked him that he responded to. Growing up uh, poor in Puerto Rico, uh, it was very loving. Uh, we didn't really miss many things that maybe today we would miss, like electronics and, and things that really are not tangible. But growing up, my mom was Costa Rican, my dad was Puerto Rican. So there was already a, a cultural difference. And although it was never spoken, it was kind of understood that there was differences there moving forward. And I really didn't feel that until I came to the United States at 15, where I felt always that there was a big difference there between culturally diversity and language. That's where I really felt the difference. I always felt that I was either too young, too dark, too short. There was always something that drove me kind of uh, to force myself to be part of a team, part of something. And Although that brought a lot of success in my life, or brought other obstacles because I became someone that had set expectations about the world. The world had it to me, so I portrayed that to other people in that aspect. But I felt always that I had to move forward and do something more than the average person. Particular Americans believe that if you're not of certain status, of certain color, you must be something. And, and that something could be many different things. Um, 
just not knowing who that person is, it puts you in a, in a, in a, in a place where you are uh, below something. And sometimes people, depends on their personalities, might just go back to their own culture and limit their ability to grow in many ways, spiritually, professionally, personally. Uh, and you have to really be intentional. You have to go out and reach and talk to people and get to know them. And that thing, there was a lot of perceived uh, nauseous going around, around who I am. Or, you know, you're Spanish, so you must be from X country. Or you're Spanish, so you must not have education or lack of, or you don't know this culture. So that, it could be intimidating. It could feel alone. Uh, feels that you don't belong here um, and it, it, it could damage you if you're not really intentional and, and without a faith and in a support group you, you could really get into a, a bad state. Yeah, I think spending the time with someone whether it's cultural differences or color, whatever that is, language, uh, means a lot for that person. Um, I know in the past I've had people generally want to know where, where I came from and uh, get to know me as a person, not as what I do, what I have, what I don't have, what I look like, and that really finding similarities, whether it's sports or faith or belief, uh, that really creates uh, a bond that surpasses color and cultures. Um, and, but you have to be intentional. You really have to spend that time with that person uh, and get to know them as they who they are uh, before you can really share your faith with them. You know, uh, one of the things that Jose and I talked about as we were prepping for that interview that was really interesting to me. And I, and I recognize, like, I've spent, I've spent months preparing for this day. Like, I have called people. I have talked to them. I just, I'm like, I, I lack theology. Who are you teaching me? Called people a lot different than me, asked them to teach me. So I, I sat down with Jose, and we're talking about this. And I said, Jose, are, you're talking about how you move towards others in love. But I don't hear... A lot of stories about others doing that for you with that absent he said yeah it really was like there was no one moving towards me there was no one saying like let me reach out to you I was moving towards them I thought man what an experience like he's as a teenager having to make all those adjustments I thought and I was spending all this time seeing this picture of heaven Knowing what God's called us to, God, but God, I want to be that person. Like that's not the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be. I don't think that's what you called me to be. It's part of a family, right? To be a person who's just comfortable, a person who just takes sameness, right, and makes it the cemetery where all God's creative genius is buried, because everybody just come be like me. I never get to learn all about God's. Incredible creativity. So, this is what I invite you to. 
This is not like an isolated theology of Paul that he just talks about Corinthians. Like this is how his heart beats. This is how it's pictured. This is his whole ministry. I mean, he, he says in Ephesians as well. He talks about this in Ephesians. It's about moving towards grace and oneness or humility and proximity. But he talks about this of like, you don't have to do this on your own. This is what Christ actually did. Ephesians 2.14, he says, for Christ himself brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles. This is, he says, listen, this is a there is racism going on. He united us. There is religious heritage issues going on. He united us. He united every single one of us into one people. This is the work of the cross. Did you notice? This is the gospel, the work of the cross to unite all people into one people, into one family. This is the invitation to be part of this family. This is the great witness of the church in the world that, that when when his own body was on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us through spiritual death, through all the things that happened. He broke down all those spiritual hostilities that separated us so that we could have, be, and live radically different, united under Christ. What a beautiful picture. God loves diversity. Now, can we just dispel a cultural myth really quick? I think our culture says this. If you don't agree with me, you hate me. Right? You don't have to agree with something. I mean, that's, that's really just silly. I mean, if you're a parent, you already know this, right? You don't have to agree with your kids to love them. Like, that, that's, that's, just, that's just silly. I mean, Jesus says, love your enemies. He doesn't say agree with them. He says, love them. Because love transcends knowledge and preference. See, there's no doubt that sameness is easier. I don't doubt that at all. Sameness is much easier. But it's not love. There's no doubt that agreeing with someone is easier. But that's not love. Tolerance, which is basically, I'll put up with you, is not love. Love is when we transcend those differences, when we move towards someone. This is what Paul's saying. This is what love looks like. You move towards someone in humility. Proximity plus humility equals empathy. That's what Paul's saying. Let your compassion and your empathy build for someone by moving close to them, by having proximity and by having humility. Now, this has a lot of implications for us, doesn't it? Let's talk about a few implications for just for a second. And there are real implications for this. Because you live in a world, and you, you've probably, some of you have declared allegiance to a political party. And there are other people in this room that have allegiance to another political party. But we are united under Christ. And that is what Paul says comes first. And if you don't experience that, then there is a gap of you experiencing the gospel. It's real. There are a lot of there are a lot of other implications in your life. How many of you have a lot? Like, how many of you would say, you know what? When I hear about the sameness, I go, that's that's my life. I got a lot of sameness in my life. I don't have a lot of difference in my life. Like God created all this different variety, but I have not taken a step towards it and enjoyed it. I'm out of practice for who we are going to be, for who God called us to be. I'm out of practice. I'm not ready for that moment. In Revelation 7. And I want to be. 
I want to move towards what God has a picture of because God's idea of this is that we won't have hostility, that in heaven, right, this is a crowd that is too vast to count. People from every political party, people of every color, people of every level of affluence, people of every level of sinner next to each other, purified by Christ in worship of God, holding their hands high and saying, Jesus saves us all. We belong to him. He did all of this. And that is so transcendent that none of the rest matters. Imagine that. Nobody's complaining. That the person next to them voted differently. Nobody's complaining that the person next to them speaks a different language. No one's complaining that someone's different than them. Because they have a picture of the Lamb of God. And what that means, united in Christ, one family. What a witness to the world. Move towards someone in humility. So I want, I want you to give you a, a moment to take this in. So I just want to ask this question. The worship team is going to come, and they're going to, they're going to invite us into a moment of worship, a moment to let some music get into our hearts and allow us to get sensitive to how the Holy Spirit might be stirring these days. So what he might be inviting to you. But this is, I think, the question. I want to ask you to, to move towards. How's God inviting you to make a change? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, how's God inviting you to move towards someone who's different than you? Is it that you have nobody in your life? Is it that you need somebody in your life? Is it that you've had hostility? Is it that you watch, you watch the angry news channels? Do you, do you know which ones I'm talking about? Right? I made a decision years ago to cut out angry news out of my life because it nurtured the old nature, not the new nature. I said, that's not the picture of heaven. So I I don't know what the implications are for you, but I I want you to sit this morning, pump the brakes, and say, God, what do you want to say to me about this this morning as we enter into a moment of worship? for the one the one in whom you love and gave your son for humanity increase my love help me to love with open arms like you do a love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. Oh, how you love us from the homeless to the famous and in between. You formed us, you made us carefully, cause in the end, we're all your children. 
just offer you a, a challenge before we pray this morning, our, our response. This, if this sounds intimidating to you, I'm going to tell you I'm really encouraged. Here's why. Because it means you're, you're seriously considering it. You know that when there's people that are different, you're like, what am I going to say? I, I, I don't know. Like, they might have a totally different background. I don't know what the, what's this going to look like. And my encouragement to you is that Christ already did this work on the cross. His Holy Spirit is already in you wanting to do this work through your life. If this sounds messy, let me assure you it probably will be. But when you move towards someone in love, they'll feel that. And so when you're thinking about, like, what does this look like? How am I going to move towards this other person in love that's very different than me? What's humility look like? Let me, let me give you a, a word. When you move towards someone in love and you want to have humility and you want to lay down your stuff, you start with curiosity. Say, I love you, and I want to know who you are and how you came to form all of your opinions, what your life has been like. And when you can do that in humility, and you can really value someone and lift up their dignity and say, I don't want to know that so that I become a better person. I want to know that because I love you, and I want to love you better. That changes everything. That means the gospel, it goes out of you. It goes to people who are very different than you, and it invites them into all that Christ dreams. I think that's really beautiful. So here's my challenge to you. This year. I don't think the church changes until this happens. This year. 
Look at change your dinner table. That's all. Just change your dinner table. If you don't ever have dinner with someone else that's different than you, we just think of a person. We just start keeping your eyes open and say, I'm going to change my dinner table. I'm going to have some people over that are different. I'm going to move towards them in love. And then ask God, God, what do you want to do with all that? How do you want me to invite them in to that Revelation 7 kind of moment together where Christ unites us? See what happens. Would you do that this year? Would you start to pray and say, God, who is that person? What would that be like? That's God inviting you to respond today. I just want to encourage you to take a moment and respond today and then we pray. Lord Jesus, will you work in our hearts right now? Will you speak deeply to us? Will you help us not to walk out and just say, I think the culture was right. I'm just going to, we're too different to get along and say no. Lord, help us to stay strong and understand that the gospel transcends all of that and that you have given us the power as the people of your family to be a witness to the world. Help us be a witness to the world, God. Call us in and bring us people. Change our dinner table change our church. We pray this in Jesus' name.